Our world is dying, politicians are lying And just when you feel like crying Sit and have a listen to people who have shit themselves Hi, I'm Claudia. I'm Evie. And we are the hosts of The Poodcast, a podcast where we tell stories about people pooing themselves. And The Poodcast is also a podcast that will discuss the issues surrounding bowel and bladder conditions such as IBS, Crohn's, colitis, celiac disease, cystitis, urinary incontinence and plenty more. We want to break the stigma surrounding these conditions and get people talking about toilets. We have historically found these topics especially difficult to talk about, whether it be an invisible illness or just what our bodies do naturally every day. So we think it's time to change that. And this week, our focus will be on Crohn's disease within sport. Oh, and we always like to kick things off with the the classic question, uh, how people's bums and tums are. So, Claudia, how is your bum and how is your tum? My tum is a bit rubbish, actually. I was with oh. Evie yesterday, wasn't I? And mm. my tum already started to go a bit, a bit weird. I thought we'd cracked it, though, because... We hooked you up with some buscapan. Yes. Peppermint tea. Yeah, you gave me all the goods. And so I don't know what more the fuck you want. <laughs> anyway, well, what can I do for you? I know. So it was, it was fine. I was starting to get a bit of a bloat, but the peppermint tea kind of sorted me out and I got on public transport, which is very oh. sweaty. So I was just sweating everywhere, feeling a little bit rubbish anyway. And then I got home and it kind of all started flaring up again and my stomach bloated out so much that I had to take my shorts off and I put on one of my boyfriend's kind of baggy t-shirts and then I caught sight of myself in the mirror and I just started to feel really <laughs> sorry for myself because I just bloated out so much and I was such a sweaty mess and it's so hot that I was kind of getting this massive ginger kind of Ronald McDonald look you and can't you can't blame being ginger no I'm not blaming being <laughs> and my hair went ginger and I I literally was this like gorgeous blonde before this bloke and then I'd been watching loads of Selling Sunset with these women they all just look so good all the friggin time and I think I was just feeling a bit rubbish and Mm. but very unusually I was also feeling very hungry whereas usually when I get really bad bloat or like a flare-up the last thing I want to do is eat. But for some reason, yesterday, I was still feeling really hungry and I wanted to have my dinner. So I kind of looked up online what snacks I could maybe have that would help me kind of, not necessarily get rid of the bloat, but then be able to then eat food later in the evening. And under snacks, it was um, a mint leaf. (laughs) Um, Do they think that a a goat has Googled this? (laughs) It was um, a mint leaf, some like apple cider vinegar or something like a kind of like apple tart i've got some of that well it's not this was a snack like well, no but what was what was it oh the other one was a banana which i can't eat because that always gives me a flare up and i don't know what it is with me and bananas oh this in the brat diet bread rice apple sauce apple for some sauce. reason <laughs> and and uh trifle Try well if only (laughs) tiramisu I can't remember it was just I just then felt even more sorry for myself because I thought well I can't even now eat any snacks that are gonna make me feel better and I just I just watched more Selling Sunset and had a little cry how was Selling Sunset (sighs) Selling Sunset is fantastic but it brings out a horrible side in me I get really bitchy and I don't I don't really like it and then what also didn't help was there was a moment where poor Chriselle was going through a divorce and somebody commented on how she'd lost a certain amount of pounds because of her grief and I'm not gonna lie my first thought is oh maybe if I break up with my boyfriend maybe I'll get rid of my bloat 
And then I didn't. I didn't. And I think then, that's a good, a good Yeah. Idea. And then the only thing I had in the freezer was a chicken Kiev, which I knew that I shouldn't definitely have, but I really didn't want to go to the shops because I looked a friggin' hot mess. So I then ate the chicken Kiev, felt even worse, and just lay in bed feeling really sorry for myself. Oh, mate. So that's me. How? <laughs> How's your bum and tummy, Evie? God, I don't quite know how to follow that. Are you feeling better now? I am a little bit. I think it's just this hot weather. I was looking online as well. A lot of people saying that they actually just get bloating in the heat. And that is mm. sometimes actually the worst thing about IBS is that if you, if you then... It's all that hot poo inside, as oh, we discussed. Don't, I don't want to talk about hot poo with you anymore. <laughs> all right, fine. But it's just that sense of people will say to you, oh, what did you eat? What You must have eaten something oh, wrong. Like, your fault. What did you do to cause this? And so then you start putting that on yourself. I suddenly started panicking that maybe I shouldn't have tomatoes anymore because that was the only thing I'd eaten differently oh, yesterday. I, from, I gave you those. I'm not trying to place blame on you giving me tomatoes. Maybe I can't have tomatoes. I don't know. I can't have avocados anymore right, either. So apparently, because I didn't give you any apple sauce yesterday and fed you tomatoes, you're We're done. miserable. And also... <laughs> We are sat in it like maybe, I don't know, a metre wide space together. So if you've got sort of bad gas, I'm going to know I'm, about it. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to do my best, but it's not great right now. Oh man, I'm, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> you I'm, are. Tr- I'm trying to you, do my best. You know, when people are in the splash zone, when they go to those kind of, like those massive aquariums, I feel like you're in the gas zone right now. And like I'm, Chernobyl. Really, I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm really sorry. <laughs> anyway, how is your bum and tummy? Bum and tum, all fine, actually. Um, yeah, just still sort of, you know, on the home stretch, I think. I mean, the home stretch until the next race begins. Um, <laughs> but during lockdown, I realised I spent quite a lot of time in our toilet and our bathroom. And it wasn't up to scratch, our bathroom. It was kind of just, you know, we're in a rented place. So there's only so much we can do. But it just looked a bit sad and tired. So during lockdown, I decided I was going to do toilet renovation so it's going to be this luxury bathroom experience well you know to the tune of about 12 pounds <laughs> whatever I could afford but actually something that did piss me off a bit when we got kind of got out of this sort of lockdown and we started seeing people everyone was like what have you been up to my boyfriend goes oh we've we've um we've really been trying to do the flat up haven't we and I was like I beg your fucking mouth what do you mean we I've done literally everything but the bathroom the bathroom is one of them and Claudia Claudia and I are recording in my flat uh, for one of the first times normally at Claudia's house um so Claudia you saw the bathroom before lockdown and you've seen it now what do you think you know don't don't patronise me no give me honest feedback I'm going to think of all the things um, from my I literally was just in there 10 minutes ago okay um, great so I really like your towel rack like with with and the and the matching towels. Oh my god, this was such a fucking huge thing for me because yeah. my boyfriend somehow thinks it's acceptable to have this like stained monkey grey one and then like this faded mint. And I was like, I'm not having it. Went on and on about it. He didn't take the hint, so I bought them myself. Yeah, they're very grown Thank up. Thank you so, so you, much. Yeah, Thank you. you seem more mature actually Thank since you. I last saw you. So you, you've got they're, matching towels. They're navy blue. Yeah, they're lovely. Thank and some you. candles. The one thing that I did think was strange about your bathroom though okay. is that you've got a toilet roll stuffed into your middle of your current toilet yeah roll. that What's i that did about? i did that this morning basically when i re- finished using one roll of toilet paper which let's face it i do that a lot a lot i couldn't be bothered to take it to recycling so sometimes i just fold it and stuff it inside it's actually quite nice because i felt like i could get a really good grip on it that's so... why i think you can only do that once you can't do that with more than one. Oh no you of course can only you wouldn't have one, the room no. 
But no, you wouldn't. I would, as a trip advisor... You like my bathroom. I really did like your bathroom. I would recommend it to friends. Thank for, you for so a lovely much. little... I just thought, if you're going to spend a long time in there, why not make it sort of, you know, as nice as, as, nice as possible? I'm going to get a cactus in mine. Are you? Yeah, I don't know when, don't know how, but I want a cactus in there. I said to our friend how I wanted some cacti in our flat. Yeah. So... It was really lovely. The start of lockdown, I got a delivery, and I was like, oh, this is really nice. It was grow your own cactus. Oh, no, you don't need that. And I looked, and it said it was going to be ready in 12 to 18 months. <laughs> I was like, I don't think you've quite understood what... <laughs> People are coming to my bathroom now! So I just... I tried to grow it. It didn't work. And then the, I opened the window. It all blew out with all the soil, and I just thought, forget it. I'm going to buy my own. You're done. Yeah. Although what I will say is where I've put it, the plant put where I want to put my cactus is actually quite dangerous. Where is it? Well, it's quite close to the toilet. And sometimes when I'm, I sometimes sit on the toilet for a really long time because I get really bad cystitis or often with, with IBS, it's kind of constipation. So I will sit there for a while and I sometimes kind of move around (laughs) and I just, I've now just got this like, this fear that I'll, you know, I'll just get up to just get off the toilet because I've been on there for 20 minutes and that I'm now going to get like a a horrible little spike in my poor little bottom. There's a spike in your bottom? I actually think I need to (laughs) to rejig the feng shui in there. Otherwise there could be a serious, serious accident or with boys, boys stand up. Don't, sorry, I don't mean to be as if I'm holding, I'm acting out how boys go to the toilet. Well, but it, what if what if my boyfriend has stood there going to the toilet and he accidentally just kind of leans back well, and he gets the prick from the cactus? He needs to get on board with the sit-down wee then, doesn't he? Yeah, don't we all? Well, no, I have. That's... Uh, <laughs> I'd hope so. I'm on, I've been on board for many, many years. <laughs> Permission to discuss condition. This week, our focus will be on Crohn's in sport, and we are incredibly lucky to have Paralympic athlete Ali Joward with us. Ali was born with legs that end mid-thigh. He has Crohn's disease, and he supports many charities for sufferers of this condition. Ali is a powerlifter who competed in the Summer 2012 Paralympics in London. He took the gold medal at the Asian Open Championships, where he made a world record lift of 185.5 kilograms. And in 2014, uh, he made another world record of 190 kilograms in Dubai. In 2016, Ali took silver at the Rio Paralympic Games and he is one of only two crone sufferers to win a medal at either the Olympic or Paralympic Games in history. Ali, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, We normally get going by asking our guest a bit about how they are at the moment and how their bums and tums are. So Ali, how is your bum and tum? Uh, Luckily, I'm actually in pretty good nick at the moment. I've had four years of like challenges, but actually I'm during isolation has actually been the best I've been for four years, so I actually I've done pretty well. Amazing. Oh, glad to hear it. And do you think being in um, isolation, is it because it's sort of more predictable because you know where you're going to be and you're sort of constantly have access to a toilet? Uh, yeah, I think the last two years um, I've had to implement like to kind of indirectly self-isolate uh, for me to kind of get through it. So actually yeah. lockdown for me wasn't actually that dissimilar of what my normal life is. So actually I've been quite lucky in that sense. Um, and obviously in isolation, you can pr- you can actually control everything pretty much. Can yeah. I also say as a side note, my arms are hurting this morning because I did your BBC workout oh, wow. video. Oh my good God. It was really hard. That's like a warm up for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm guessing our strengths are slightly different in that area. But oh my god, I I've noticed that my my arms are very weak, and yours are clearly incredibly strong. But it's a brilliant workout. I will 
do it more and try and get better, hopefully. <laughs> so, Ali, when did you begin powerlifting and how did that turn into a career whereby you're representing your country? So to put into uh, context, um, when I was six, I watched Michael Johnson win gold at the Olympics in Atlanta. So he won the 200 and 400 metre gold medals. Um, And when he was on top of the podium, uh, he sighed crying and I wanted to feel what he was feeling. And that was when my Paralympic dream started when I was six. But having no legs, I couldn't run like him. So I had to find another sport. What are you going to (laughs) do? So, yeah, I, I started... I did judo when I was at 11 to 15, but um, unfortunately, being an amputee, there's no class for me at the Paralympic Games. It's only for blind and visually impaired. So when I was 15, I quit judo and my friend randomly forced me to the gym across the road from my school. And that is when I found powerlifting. A coach that owned the gym found me and said I had some sort of talent. And uh, yeah, that was my, kind of my first world-class um, kind of experience when it came to representing GB. Um, and yeah, it's been like that since. Incredible. Fantastic. And when was your first big competition? How old were you um, when you first started competing? I think I was 17 when I made the World Championship team. Uh, I've only been doing the sport for a year, but I managed to kind of get fast-tracked onto the, the British team. And uh, I was 17 when I went to the World Championships. So yeah, that was like a massive eye-opener about... about um, just what it takes to actually be at that sort of level. I had a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was young, so it was fine. Um, so when were you first representing the UK in, or Great Britain, sorry, in the Paralympics? When did you first do that? So I qualified on my 19th birthday uh, for the Beijing Paralympic Games. Uh, so three years after I took up the sport. Nobody really expected me to get there because powerlifting back then was like a old person sport because you don't really develop your physical strength until you're much older but um I was lucky that I had great coaches and genetically I was quite gifted and within three years I made the team for the Paralympic Games in Beijing so yeah I was living the dream at 19. That is very different to my 19th birthday party where I think I got carried home from a Weatherspoons I really think that the bar was (laughs) very different but that could have been last week what you've just described. (laughs) And Ali, when were you diagnosed with Crohn's and how did that impact how you were competing? So actually the night before I competed in Beijing, uh, I got sick. I didn't know what it was. People thought it was like a head cold slash flu. And I was like, well, no, I've trained through colds and flus before and my stomach hurts too. So overnight I'd lost three kilo in body weight. I was on the toilet, yeah, all night, uh, sweating, dehydrated, really fatigued like from out of nowhere you've got this fit athlete coming into the games and suddenly I was like chronically fatigued I didn't know what was, what was going on uh, next morning woke up they were going to pull me out of the competition and I said no 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 I'm here I've worked so hard for this I don't care where I, I don't want to you know I don't care where I come this is the experience for me I was never going to medal anyway so luckily I didn't come last which is good but I knew something was very wrong so Flew back to the UK and it took about nine months to diagnose me with Crohn's. Um, but first, I was tested for cancer because I lost about 25 kilo of body weight in a month. I was bedridden. So, yeah, that was, was quite a worrying time at 19. Did they suspect bowel cancer? Is that what they tested you for? Yeah. So um, with the rate that I was losing weight at and um, couldn't eat, I was obviously in bed all the time. They were very scared that something like really wrong was going on. Um, obviously, luckily, it wasn't cancer, but... To be fair, Crohn's is like it's probably was probably as bad because um, at first I did not know what was going to go up, like didn't know what was going to happen to me. 
because uh, I was trying everything and I was getting worse. But when I got diagnosed, I didn't know what Crohn's were what was at the time. Um, I just thought I just took some medication. I'll be on my way. See you later. Back to the Paralympic dream. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, yeah, the consultant was pretty much, he pretty much said like, my life's about to change. And because of the level that I was competing at, he, he just didn't think I was going to be competitive anymore. Well, at the time, no Crohn's has, has ever won a medal at the time at the Olympic or Paralympic Games. So I knew my job was going to be quite hard. But the re- there was obviously there was no, there was no research when it comes to Crohn's and elite sport, it, even now. So we had to pretty much learn on the spot. So it was uh, quite um, eye-opening at, what, 20 when I got diagnosed. So when you heard that news, did you really think, oh, you know, my competition days are over? Or did that have the opposite effect and spur you on even more? Um, well, I think everybody else doubted whether or not, whether or not I can make a comeback. Because the science just predict- obviously suggested otherwise, there's no way. But obviously, like, athletes... They- what makes athletes so special at that level is that they always try to find their way, even sometimes when you have to risk things. Um, and there's, there's going to be an element of risk because we didn't know what was going to happen to me. So I attempted a comeback um, and uh, didn't work. Crohn's absolutely battered me. Um, I was collapsing in training. I was passing out. The pain was that bad. I was literally like fainting. I, I just couldn't train. It was, it was too hard. So I decided to retire in late 2009 at the age of 20 to try and focus on my health because just it just weren't happening. And that was pretty hard because I'm a type of person that never really quit. Yeah, it was just not a good uh, time because Crohn's then was probably at its most aggressive, it, it, obviously at the initial stages. So, yeah, so uh, I had to retire. But because of the operation, I made a very bold comeback. So what was your operation, may we ask? So in 2010, uh, I got rushed in for emergency surgery to save my life. Um Pretty much, and the, I remember the doctor saying to me, or the surgeon, he said, uh, this was the night before, he said, Wait, you're going to have to prepare your friends and family for the worst. It is not looking good for you. What a thing to hear, especially at that age yeah. as well. And he said, I might have to give you a bag, but I won't know until I get in there. I have no clue what I'm going to see, basically. So you don't know what you're going to wake up to after the surgery? I was so bad, they, they couldn't scan me first. They literally had to rush me in and like, I'm going to have to see what's in there. And I have to react to it. I said to him, oh, because obviously 2012 was obviously two years away. And obviously, even though I'd retired, I still had aspirations of making my home. Well, I live in, well, I'm from London. So like, it's my home city's Paralympic Games. I couldn't just like watch the parade go by without at least attempting a comeback. And I said to him, look, please don't cut me open. Please let it be keyhole because I recover faster. And he's like, I can't guarantee it. He's like, if they give you a bag, it's over. So after seven hours in surgery, um, literally, when I woke up, I literally started feeling my stomach, thinking, right, has he cut me straight open? Is there a bag? Um, and the nurse said to me, like, I don't know how you did it, but um, it is keyhole, and uh, you're very lucky. You're, ve- you're, you're, you're a fighter. So um, it gave me another shot at, at the Paralympic Games in, in London. Can I wow. ask, why would it have been over if you'd been given a bag? Why would you have then not been able to push forward and compete then? Right, so having a stomach bag, um, at my level with what I lift, I could cause a, it's called like an intestinal hernia. I lift like three and a half times my body weight on a regular basis. So it's not like the normal average person. And if you do that constantly, it's going to probably come out, come out of my stomach whilst in the gym. That's what, that's what the warning. Even now, like if I had to go down that route, I will have to retire and not, you know, risk it. 
So then what changed in your mindset? Obviously, 2012 London is coming around the corner. At what point did you then say, no, I'm getting back in the game? Like how, how much time did you have to train? So I, had, I was two years out, but I'd been, I'd been retired for two years since Beijing trying to get healthy and it didn't happen. So um, when I found out the surgeon performed the keyhole and everything went probably better than expected, I kind of thought, you know what? He's giving me another chance here. And when, he, when I said to him what I was going to do, he, goes, he said, no. He said, like, you need six months bed rest. Like, there is no, it's like all the effort we've put into you, you cannot undo. It's like, do not go back into the gym. It's like, until I kind of like write you a letter saying you can. It's like a parent on a school trip. <laughs> and I was like to him, no, I'm going to do it behind your back and see what happens. <laughs> uh, and I told him, I said, look, it's going to happen. So you might as well sign that letter. It's going to happen anyway. He said, I remember he goes, if, it, if you do come, if you do do it and like you undo all the work we've done, I refuse to treat you. You're literally telling me that all that work and you're going to go back to the gym and try risk it again. Are you kidding? It's like your stitches internally will literally rip. Oh, oh God, Ali. And I was like, all right, now nah, I'm going to do it anyway. So within two weeks, I, uh, two, within two weeks, I got discharged within a week. Within two weeks, I was back in the gym. <laughs> Two, I wish you could see, uh, the listeners could see mine and Evie's faces right now. Our mouths if are, someone like, told me to take six months bedridden, I'd be like, no problem. Two <laughs> weeks you went back to the gym. I, I can't work out if I'm impressed or horrified. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you start to improve? Was it, this, was it the surgery um, that kind of turned things around or was there a bigger process there? The surgery was the foundation. So I'm... Um, grateful he saved my life and he performed keyhole um and i think i kind of own my life as well but also own the fact that even though i took a huge risk coming back so early he 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 actually kept treating me and he decided to be on the journey with me um and just make sure that from his side he was doing the best he can to give me his chance so he believed in it uh, which is great because you sometimes you just need people to believe in it but then the team around me, when it comes to nutrition, my lifestyle, everything was geared up to try and get me there in the in, in the best shape I can be. And obviously, with the surgery, it gave me time to be in remission for a while. So actually, I was pretty much not normal, but I was the most I'd, the most normal I've been for two years. So that for me was much better than what I was. So that meant like I could train, I could kind of recover, and you know, even though I qualified for London in last place. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter where you qualify in, it's what happens on the day. So I still had about six months to get into better shape to improve my ranking. So, you know, lucky for me, I made the games and uh, a 6,000 arena stadium shouted my name and the doctor came and, well, I gave tickets to the doctor that came to, to watch me. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and nutrition-wise, how does it work? Obviously, you must be on maybe, I'm guessing, a specific diet for powerlifting, but do you also then have to balance that with a specific diet for managing your Crohn's? Yeah, so our, our strategy is Crohn's first, then performance. Always health. Health's the foundation, because if you're sick, you can't train. So if we can nail your health first, it will give you a chance to be more specific eventually. Uh, Because obviously I'm in a bodyweight sport, so I have to be in a bodyweight class too. So I just can't, you know, I can't just consume everything even though I want to. When we looked at the diet, there was no um, research at the time. But luckily I had one nutritionist who was world class. And he was like, wait a minute, with your medication, we could supplement it with this diet and it could work together. Clever, right? Can you believe that? Like, it's not even that that clever, it's common sense, but... The consultant said that diets don't, 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 don't work. 
it's all about medication. And I was like, no, there's a, they can definitely do it and not like with it. So um, my nutritionist went away. Within a week, he came back, to, came back with a diet that goes, look, Crohn's is an, you know, an autoimmune disease, right? It's all about inflammation. Your food then has to be an anti, anti-inflammation, right? So it's all about healing and attacking the inflammation. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that you're geared up to kind of, you know, counter any sort of inflammation in your body. We're not going to say it's going to work, but with the medication, it might just give you a chance, you know? So, uh, and that's what happened. And literally within kind of seven days of me starting that diet, I had no symptoms with medication. Crazy. This might also be a stupid question, but with medication, has that ever affected the drug testing for when you qualify for the Olympics? Yeah, so obviously in sport you get drug tested for performance enhancing drugs, and I'm at the time I was on prednisolone, which is considered a steroid. Um, however, people think about drugs and they think about anabolic steroids, don't they? So anabolic means the growth of muscle tissue, where prednisolone is a catabolic steroid which means it does the opposite it breaks down your muscle tissue naturally so actually i'm i'm taking i'm 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 choosing to be at disadvantage on purpose <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, i'm i'm exempt of taking i'm exempt because obviously i need it to live however um my dosage is monitored so i have to be in a certain dosage and there's a timeline and if i have to keep taking pred then i have to reapply for for the exemption um but yeah, I the, the medication is very bad for training because it's so catabolic that not only does it break down my muscle tissue, but you've got the fatigue factor, but then you've got training on top, which is also a stimulus, which means it breaks muscle tissue down even further. So it's like a double whammy. How does it affect you um, competition-wise? Do you consider yourself to have uh, a further disability in regards to your Crohn's or what is your take on that? This probably sounds weird, and I said it before, Um I was born with no legs, so for me it was normal. I never really felt disabled until I got Crohn's because I couldn't do the normal things that I was able to do before. Uh, in your, when you're in a big flare, you just can't do the normal things. And obviously being born, with no, being born with no legs, it was completely normal for me, so I had to adapt pretty much every stage of my life and it didn't really affect me. It was like normal for me to adapt. But with Crohn's, it was hard to adapt because it was unpredictable it was trial and error. It took a very long time to get stable. It took me about five years, maybe. So yeah, we're like you when you kind of can't do the things you used to, you used to do, you kind of feel less able than you, you know, than, than you were, and that's really hard because if you can't live normally, how can you compete at a world class level? It's hard. Yeah, and absolutely. by the time you got to 2016 Olympics, did you feel like you had more of an understanding about your Crohn's and, and kind of what might cause a flare-up or was it still this really unpredictable nature? So what we did after 2012 was um, my team sat down and said, like, you know, you, you're very capable of meddling because you're so talented. It's just that we have to keep you healthy and consistent, which you've never been. So everything was geared up to let's tackle Crohn's first. We're going to throw everything at it. We're going to use all the most up-to-date science we can that's available. And then we'll look at how we can affect your training to get you to that sort of level. So I had to live my life in a very strict way, like probably the strictest, like not, not many people will live it because you have to do things with Crohn's that you just don't want to do. If it means isolating, you're going to have to. If it means not going out, you're going to have to. Like with the medication that I was on, 
I could catch anything, which means that it would, it would take longer for me to recover. And even the diet as well, because like I had to weigh everything as well. I had to weigh my food because obviously I'm in a bodyweight sport as well. So it just it, it, all the layers for me were very difficult to implement at the time. But now it's just normal. Um, and obviously got to Rio in the best shape I've ever been. Um, I could I was, actually I modeled I modeled naked before the games. Did you? <laughs> How was that? You can probably see it online actually. Yeah. We'll have a little look. Don't you worry, we'll, we'll check them out. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm actually quite proud of my body. I'm just going to show it off in front of the world and not tell my parents. And then when they phone me, like, what is this? This is nonsense. <laughs> Don't I look great? <laughs> When's the calendar coming out? Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but like going into Rio, I was in the best shape I've ever been. I had a very successful like four years winning a lot of um, medals and titles at that level and I knew that you know the one middle that I wanted at the Paralympic Games this was this was it this was my chance and I, and I you know luckily I came away with the silver so yeah quite lucky yeah that's absolutely fantastic I mean what what an achievement and and sort of going forward now so sort of you're today how are you now and what does the future hold for you career-wise do you think since Rio it's been the hardest it's been because after Rio I think after what I put my body through um, I had the biggest flare-up of my life, and I'm still in it. So four years down the line. I was out for two years, and then we were trying every medication under the sun, and it wasn't working. So two years ago, the consultant sat me down, and he said, he said like, you know, we've thrown everything at it, and you've kind of exercised all your options medically. You've got two more options left. One is a stoma bag, and then the other one is a stem cell trial, which lasts about a year. However, through in that process, you'll need aggressive chemotherapy. And it might not work. It's just a trial. So I said, right, what's the worst case? He goes, the worst case is a stoma bag. So we, we kind of advise you to go through the trial, uh, see if it works, because it might do. But with any option that you take, you're going to have to retire right now, because you're not going to make Tokyo if you take any option. So I was like, hmm, interesting. I don't want to retire yet, because I think I could win gold if I really was healthy and I was like right well I went away and I thought wait a minute I think there's another option it's going to be considered quite risky compared to the other two but I think there's another way so it wasn't given to me I went away and thought about it I came up with it myself (laughs) Ali's option (laughs) I said to my team I think there's one way of doing this that will get me to the games and it's a it's it's the pred route so prednisolone um sometimes obviously you take it when you're in a flare but then you're supposed to come off it right because it's bad for you it's really toxic but I thought, what about if I'm on the high dosage for two years? Oh, oh Ali, you're stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, I know. He went crazy as well. And my team were like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, um, the not only, when you take it at such a big dosage and it's so toxic for you, it's just not going to be good for long term, but also the effects it's going to have on you right now. Like, it's you might even, like... We don't even know what state I'm going to be in if I get to Tokyo because it's going to be that bad for me. Now, at the time, when I went and spoke to the consultant about it, he freaked out and said, look, this has never been done like this. No way. Like, this is nuts. But I said to him, okay, but is it nuts? Like, if I'm monitored to the level that I'm monitored, because I'm monitored really highly. I think I'm probably the most monitored crone sufferer on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) If you monitor me enough, you know we can predict when things are going to come and we can, like, adapt quite quickly. So I'm lucky in that sense. I've got a great team around me. So I said to him, if I'm monitored that way, then surely it will be safe to take. And, you know, if something happens, we can adapt quite quick. So I asked him, when does the stem cell trial deadline run out? 
And he said, well, you've, I've got until probably early 2021. So I thought I can just, I can just do it after the games. Easy. I'll take Pred for two years, get there, do the games. Don't know what state I'll be in, but hopefully I'll be in a good state. And then go straight into a stem cell trial. Obviously, then Corona hit. But, like, he decided to support me to take Pred at that, at that dosage for the next, like, two years. And I've been on Pred since at the highest dosage daily. Oh, my... And, and how, how are you getting yeah, on with that? How are you? <laughs> it's giving me crazy problems. Oh, my God. But no, I'm, I'm lucky that I've adapted now. Um, sometimes... Like, I think my, my teams are, my, my team is so kind of, they're kind of experts in their field that if you combine experts together, you could, well, I've always said that I think I can outsmart Crohn's because I think I know what's coming at me. <laughs> I think you can from the well, sounds of it. <laughs> Not curing it, but as in like, if you know your body and you know what's going to come at you and you know the side effects, you can definitely put things in place to give you a good go, to give you a good chance. And I'm lucky that I'm monitored to such a high level that I'm slowly outsmarting it day to day. I know what's going to come and I know what could come. So, yeah, it's been that strict. Yeah, and, and from the sounds of things, you, you in order to be able to do that, you need to kind of know it very, very well and have people around you that kind of know exactly what they're doing. It sounds like that is basically what you have. So Dream team. I'm so pleased for you that that's the case. And I just really, really hope that you continue to be as well as you possibly can and hopefully, you know, go on to compete more and you won't have to retire for a while yet. <laughs> um, so what would you say to sort of a young person who wants to get into a career uh, in sport and they maybe have a chronic illness such as Crohn's or colitis or whatever it may be? When I was younger and I got, when I got diagnosed, a lot of people just, I think what I'd say to my younger self is prepare for people to be negative about it because a lot of them were, like my friends, my family, like even the doctors at the time. And when somebody says that it's impossible to do or it's going to be really hard to do, it's kind of up to you whether or not you challenge that or you believe it. I didn't want to, obviously I believed it, but I thought, well, it's never been done before. So why can't I be the first? Well, that's what, that's, that's how medical science improves, right? Like people are going to risk things. There will be an element of risk for such a big goal. Why not push the boundaries and see what happens? So the last two years, obviously with Crohn's, I've, I wanted to push the disease to its very limits and see what it can take. That's why I've taken the route that I've taken. Obviously, two years down the line with COVID, the stem cell trial has been postponed now. So actually, this is my only option. So actually, it's turned out to be the best option. But two years ago, people were like stressing. So I've stuck to my guns. Um, and, and sometimes, yes, I'm not a doctor, but you know your body more than anybody. And you know the side effects of the medication that you take. Sometimes you have to trust that. But also employ people that are better than you because, uh, the, you know, having a dream team is, is very important. So yeah, listen to medical advice, but also challenge the science. And I think also, I mean, it's amazing that you have that confidence. I know we've spoken quite a lot um, on this podcast about being in a medical appointment and, and a doctor telling you something that even when you know that it's not that they say that they got the wrong end of the stick, but that you know that something isn't right. And I personally find it really hard and I've come out of quite a lot of doctor's appointments wishing that I'd said no but hold on you're not listening to what I'm saying it's actually like this so I think to to really have that confidence and know your own body is is such an amazing thing to have Claudia actually got once once got told by a doctor that she worked in a curtain shop it was a whole basically (laughs) I I was in an accident a few years ago that caused nerve damage and the the 
the point of the accident was that a curtain pole fell on my neck and um, affected the nerves at the top of my spine. Um, so it caused me to be ill for a very long time. But when I got to this muscular skeletal appointment where they were going to, I thought I'd, I'd waited like six months this appointment. I was so looking forward to it. And the first 10 minutes was this doctor saying, so it says what happened here is that you work in a curtain shop. I said, no, a curtain pole fell on my neck. And it went on for so long to the point that I actually left the appointment crying because I felt like I was really even battling such a small thing that wasn't even about why I was in there feeling ill. It, it was this whole like criteria that I was supposed to fill about working in a curtain shop. It was just madness. So I, I completely, uh, you know, I understand how difficult it is to, to back yourself, essentially. And do you think your confidence in challenging doctors comes from just knowing your own body yeah i think as athletes we need to know our own body to get through training get through our lifestyle implement the stuff we have to implement to compete that sort of level so we're scrutinized daily to get better to be better to challenge you know we, we, we are encouraged to challenge even my team like they tell me to challenge them all the time so i'm used to challenging practitioners that are you know qualified the issue is that i have is that just because when it comes to like medical science just because you know the population that they've tested are just normal people. There's an oh, there's always an outlier, and I, and I said that I'm going to be the outlier because you can't treat me like a normal Crohn sufferer. You have to treat me like an athlete with Crohn's. It's like no, no, no. It's the, it's, it's it's the same. I'm like no, it isn't. Like I can push my, I can tolerate, like I can probably suffer so much, like so much to try and get to a goal, and I've got the expertise around me to help me do that. I'm an, I'm actually in a very privileged position. I'm very lucky that I've got a team. So I never felt that, never felt sorry for myself because actually many Crohn sufferers would love to be in my position to have a team like mine. So I knew that it would be disrespectful to me to retire when I've got such a great team behind me that could help me pull this off. And I owed it to them to see if they could, you know, pull this off with me. So um, yeah, I took the route of actually going, you know what, I trust my team and I trust myself. And then you need to get them some 2021 Tokyo tickets. <laughs> also, Ali, we, I mean, I don't know if you have any to hand, but we, we love to share some embarrassing stories on, on the podcast of, of mishaps and misfortunes. Are any that come to mind for you? Oh, OK. Well, actually, it's not, a, it's not funny, but it, is, it happened at the Paralympic Games in London. So actually, yeah. So um, what happened was, um, day of the competition, so I had, had no symptoms for five months, thinking, oh my God, I fluked it, right? I no symptoms for five months, I'm fluking it. Day of the competition, ready to roll, quite nervous, but also quite excited. Um, about five hours before comp day, well, yeah, before comp, went to the toilet, and I was like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. Oh no, it's happening again on the day this time. Beijing was the day before, and now it's actually on the day. I was like, right, do I tell my coach or do I not say anything? I know, because if I say something, they're going to pull me out because I'm bleeding. So I thought, I'm not going to say anything. So I went into the warm-up room, ready to go, got into warm-up, got my like leotard on, ready to roll. I said to my coach, oh, by the way, I, I bled this morning, but it's fine. And he looked at me like, what? You need to, go, you need to see a doctor. I was like, no, too late. We're here now. We've got an hour left. I'm fine. So he was like going absolutely nuts, going, oh my God, I have to rush his warm up just to see what he's capable of because it throws the game plan out the window. Because obviously if you're bleeding, you're going to be fatigued. And yeah, I, I, th I think I stressed him. I, I, I felt really sorry for him. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a pain in the bum side sometimes, but I had no choice. Like 6,000 people there, cheering my, my friends and family. I just could not pull out. So 
I, I kept it, I kept it to myself until like an hour before, so he couldn't do anything. <laughs> I'll never, don't do that though, I'll never do it again. But at the time, I was like, I was like, not again, not again. I'm getting in an insight into what a cheeky child you must have been, Ali. There's a real <laughs> smirk on your face when you're telling these stories. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm pretty cheeky, but I get away with it, so it's fine. <laughs> Um, Ali, it's been so, so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Uh, if anybody wanted to reach you on social media or kind of find out more, um, where could they find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm Ali Jawad Powerlifter. Um, they get to see like my training, sometimes food, sometimes cheekiness. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Ali. We hugely appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Stop what you're doing, let's talk about pooing. So this is the part of the show where we read out the fantastic turtles sent in to us by our listeners. Thank you so much for those who have sent them in so far. Keep them coming. They are providing us with so much entertainment. Or just anything you want to say. Yeah, just let us know about let your day. Know what your feelings are. Feelings. Evie, what is our turtle of the week? We have had a fantastic story sent in. Uh, it's an IBS-related one. Oh, yay! So it's a, an IBS sister, uh, along with you. Thank you. I feel like that's giving away that it's a girl, but that's fine. It's okay. That's, there yes, are, there are many, many, many women. This is a lady. Oh, right. She's a lady. She's a lady who smells of perfume. What? I don't know if she wears perfume. I, she probably does. Anyway, so she says... I've been learning a lot about my IBS over the years. However, the lockdown has really made me reassess things on a completely different level. The myth is that food and nutrition is to blame for controlling and maintaining IBS symptoms. However, there are so many other variables like hormone imbalances, poor sleep cycle, stress and anxiety. Oh, preach! So with this in mind, my most recent funny yet also traumatic poo story happens to have been during lockdown. Visiting Sainsbury's to do the bi-weekly shop queues are long and it takes nearly 40 minutes until we get inside. I already had that nervous niggle in my tummy triggered by the anxiety of leaving the house during this strange time. However, I didn't think much of it and I had made it into the store. Mask on, gloves and armed with Dettol wipes. Other brands available. Of course. Everything was fine until I bumped into a friend who I hadn't seen for ages. The pure joy and excitement of seeing another person got the better of me, and there it was. I knew that because I was excited, the adrenaline had made me need a poo. Embarrassingly so, I said my goodbyes and made my way to the toilet, which was all grim blue light toilets that have su- that supermarkets seem to have. And, oh fuck, you must be kidding me. The sign on the door reads, Toilets closed during this time due to COVID-19 government restrictions. Stop it. So that's it, there's no toilet. And I can't work out what I'm going to do as I am now holding in one of those awful explosive poos which is already making me sweat and feel nauseous. Oh god. I run back out to the car park, open my car door and I crouch down on the floor, hiding and only very slightly because I know I'm about to let my body crap itself. A puddle of hot runny poo, which I managed to get on my foot and open toe sandal, comes shooting out. I look for something, anything to clean myself off with, and I can only find my Febreze detox wipes for kitchen surfaces. After composing myself and and cleaning myself, I pull myself together and I stand up to find the outdoor Sainsbury's queue, having watched the entire <gasps> saga in full glory. I am genuinely traumatised. However, this shit literally happens to me all of the time. So, yeah, that's that. 
Oh my God. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> just the fact that, like, I know, I'll just open the car door, that will create some sort of barrier, only to realise on the other side, the Sainsbury's queue. I've got to say, though, especially at the beginning of lockdown, man, those Sainsbury's queues were long. I would have been like, thank you so much. It's like popping on a bit of Netflix. Like, I'm sure people... <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it and were grateful for the break in boredom and they get it because there are no i mean i found it so difficult to start the lockdown there was n- not a toilet to be had you could only go a certain distance for a certain amount of time because if you needed the toilet the only option is go home to go to the toilet that's so it so many toilets are closed and also do you know what i saw being advertised today and i thought i'd love to do that but i'll never be able to do it in a million years were these little kind of um little like almost like the ones you get at rumba rapids the little um <laughs> you little rumba rapids are you sponsored but like the little rings you can sit on and you kind of go along the Thames and you can go on with like seven or eight mates and you sit on and like they'll provide food and booze whatever very nice but you're allowed to go on for an hour and a half. No, no, no. I can't drink if they're or you know eat but especially drink my bladder is is just awful like I will need to go to the toilet. How? What are you supposed to do? Is there a bucket provider? Do you just jump in the Thames and hope for the best? What? What happens? I I completely agree. If there's not, if I'm not on land, especially, I'm not interested. Do you know it was really embarrassing? What? Oh God! So you're going to talk about below deck? No, I want to talk Although about this below, deck. below deck for me. Ooh. So, me and my boyfriend went to stay in this little like getaway and we love like a kind of like little uk cabins oh where the we, shepherd's huts we do those a lot really, i've seen them on the gram we really enjoy them we're not very good with heat like we we like to kind of stay close to the cold yeah ice ice on for example yeah That's exactly exactly my bag exactly so we we went and stayed in this little shepherd's hut and basically you it, it kind of did advertise it, but I don't think we really thought it through. Is that there wasn't a toilet in the shepherd's hut, but literally it said just a very, very short two minute walk is is a toilet that anybody staying in the shepherd's hut on uh, across this beautiful pond, can I say, um, could use these toilets. And so we were like, oh, it will be fine. Like you just step outside. But we went in February when it was absolutely pissing it down with <sighs> rain. And as soon as I wake up in the morning, the first thing I need to do is go for a wee. Of course. Like, if not, maybe three or four. Like, it just, I have to do it straight away. Like, I can literally feel it, like, coming. as soon yeah. as I open my eyes, I'm like, ah! And I jump so often, like, I give myself a head rush because I, like, jump out of bed. And I went to jump out of bed on our first morning there. Obviously, there's no toilet. You have to leave. And it's freezing cold outside, but it's also torrential rain outside i'm in my pajamas it's such cute little vibes in there i don't want to leave my boyfriend's asleep there's like a little um you know you take them out of the sink like the little wash basins yes i took it out of the sink yeah fine and i went for a wee in it that's that is absolutely fine i don't have a single qualm about that i washed it thoroughly like Mm. thoroughly and i didn't do it again I promise, Evie, I didn't. I really didn't do it again. And I felt awful about it because actually the toilet thing there was so lovely. They did it up so nicely. And the people. Really? Because I'm not going to lie, I don't like the sound of that. No, it was gorgeous inside. They'd done it up so. It was like, it was like this own little shepherd's hut, but for weeing Mm. and pooing. And like, it was amazing. And, but I just, and the people who ran the Airbnb were so lovely. I felt so awful. But I did not want to go outside in my pajamas when it was absolutely freezing. I was worried I was going to wee myself on the way. Was it really a early it was like seven o'clock in the morning i didn't want to do it and so i didn't do it and i found i found the little tub and i went for a wee in that and what is what i maybe did leave out the story is that 
my boyfriend did wake up mid weeing because if and he just saw you squatting over yeah the... because also like the lower like the lower you go the louder it gets you know like kind of like oh yeah 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 <laughs> like pouring a glass of wine so I was trying to like stand up so that you wouldn't see but then I was worried it was gonna go on the floor so I was, so I was crouching down and he woke up and was... only dogs can understand you right now <laughs> it was just it was just one of those moments where I thought. Please don't leave me. He's probably, Nobody else will accept me no. now. We've gone too far in the relationship. We're, this is it. You are stuck with me. <laughs> and then I woke up and she was pissing in a kitchen washing up bowl. <laughs> I don't know why this thought has come to my mind, but when you said it's so cold outside and you don't want to go outside for a wee, I've heard that in certain places, I want to say Antarctica, but I'm not completely sure, it's so cold that if you like we outside it instantly turns to ice as it comes I out wouldn't your body be surprised. so it would be like icicle piss but coming straight out of you as soon as it hits the air it's so cold it freezes but I mean, wouldn't that be great well you could if you're a man with a penis literally like it'd be could. like it'd be like your elsa in frozen like instead of coming out your fingertips it comes out your willy and it just goes straight into ice you feel like an absolute snow queen what about you could do that with like oh no never mind do you want to say it no. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? No. Oh, are you thinking of what else comes out of a willy? Oh, <laughs> I wasn't, but now oh, I am. No, no. <laughs> I was just thinking about poo. Oh, like a frozen poo. Would they free it, freeze in midair? Well, it's not, that's magic, isn't it? So they <laughs> drop to the ground. It's not going to, like, freeze. It's not actually frozen. Yeah, right? I think I was It's not going to turn into, like, Olaf the snowman, but actually it's just three layers of poo. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be a good part. I wonder it. who would voice that. You. <laughs> you do a great job but i just i hate it in winter when you are so cold and you're desperate for the toilet but the idea of taking any layers off is just horrible because you just don't you don't want your bare bottom and when your bare bottom well you know when when me and my boyfriend did go to iceland we you go out on these tours for the day and often like the toilets are just kind of on the side of a road and whatever and it is so so cold. You mm. think I don't know whether I'd rather just wear my little dungarees to make it a bit warmer for myself. I was going to say it would warm you up, or actually just go to. Oh God, no! I suppose in the short term it would warm you up, but in the long term it would be very cold because yeah. then you get wind on cold wee. We did go to this um, these hot springs you can go to in Iceland. Oh and my went for God! A, went for a swim in those, and honestly, it's so hot. And I did think, not that I've, I genuinely have never weed in a swimming pool, but I thought. Mm. You really, you know how people sometimes say, because then it warms you up. Yeah. You would not need that. And nobody needs to wear in a hot spring. No, there's no excuse for it. But no. I, I had a similar experience. I went to uh, Budapest or Budapest, as I found out they say. Also, it's two separate towns, one called Buddha and one called Pei. You've told me this. I, I just blew find my it mind. so fan- fascinating. Anyway, we went to these thermal spas there for like a New Year's Eve party. And it was so hot, but there were a lot of signs about like, don't piss in the thermal spa. And I saw a floating condom in the thermal spa. I know. I hate to ask, but was it used? Um, I don't know because it was in the water, so whatever might have been in it. You didn't inspect it? I didn't pick it up mm. and report it saying, hi, I found this condom. What's really concerning is that there's no semen inside. You could get a stick. I could get it. But it was, I didn't have much on me. I just had my, no. myself and my swimming costume. It was very fun though, actually. It was like a massive light show. It was great. But I thought, this is, this is a playground of 
you know, hotbed of naughty oh, activity. Oh, God, and where people find, when you find, like, a plaster floating in a swimming pool, oh. uh, like, or, like, just wet hair in general, actually, Nails. that I could deal with so much more than I could with then wet hair floating. Somebody's wet hair floating Oof, actually gives God, me God, the God. creeps. It's like clearing out drains. No, can't do it. Oh, God, when I used to live with girls, I mean, I do miss living with girls, but also I don't because the build-up of conditioner and hair in the plug. This is not a podcast about hair. No. So yeah, sorry that you pooed in a Sainsbury's car park, but you won't be the first and you definitely won't be the last. And you know, maybe Sainsbury's will give you a discount for they they should have had their toilet open for you. And so maybe they should give you like a special nectar points. Discount nectar points, some sort of little um, I don't know. Why can I only think of Petty for loot? A bag, for, a bag for life to a shit in? A bag for life to shit in. Right, that's it. I yeah. actually do know a bag for life story. No, I'm going to D- No, that. tell me the bag for life story. Okay, so um, it's one of those things like, a friend of a friend. Uh, mm-hmm. I hate that, but anyway. But, so um, somebody was working uh, in a hospital where they're the person that checks the x-rays. I don't know what that medical term is. Radiologist? Radiologist? Maybe something, something like, like that. that. And they said, you know, you will not believe the stuff that gets stuck inside people. Like, horrendous. And people always say, you know what? Oh, I, I fell. fell. I fell on the hair. And that's, that, that's why the uh, bottle, the glass ketchup bottle has a condom on it because I fell on it. Oh. I've heard that word about Stop that. that now. The like, Kinder Egg. The Kinder Egg. Mm. Oh, Kit Kat Chunky, I heard. Oh, my God. Anyway, so, but the one thing that stuck out with this girl telling the story was that um, somebody had come in and they tried to um, shove a coconut up their bottom. A coconut up their uh, arse? I'm guessing it was a small coconut. I don't but know. But even the smallest coconut is going to be bigger than I don't understand. A baby's I head. swear it was a coconut. I might be remembering oh the wrong God. fruit, but I'm pretty sure it was a coconut. Any fruit's not great, is it? Is it? Maybe a lime. I could probably get a lime on my bum. I reckon. Let's try it after this. Okay. Anyway, so they... Um, but what they've done, apparently, is a technique that you put it in a carrier bag... And then you put that up so that there are the handles. So you pull it back. So you can pull it back. Of course, natu- naturally. What a great idea. Absolute genius. Can't wait to see you on Dragon's Den. And then... <laughs> what would that be called? <laughs> well, okay. So this person had put the coconut up there, put the carry bag, but they'd used one of the flim... Not the bag for life. One of the flimsy, like, 10p ones... And went to pull the oh, handles. The biodegradable ones. And they snapped. So they then had to go into the toilet. How do you get an Uber? How do you even get to the hospital? Oh, my God. How do you... And like, why are you doing that? Why? Well, let's why? not even. But how do you then get there? Like, how do you sit down on a seat? You must, you must have to walk there through rain or shine. But anyway... <laughs> they <laughs> Through rain or shine, that's the problem, the weather. <laughs> they get, they, yeah, they get there and, and the, apparently the person commented that if they'd used a bag for life, they wouldn't be in this predicament. Well, bag for life. So maybe that is around. what you would call it, a little bag for life. A bag for lime. Your bag for your lime. Bag, bag for, for lime. lime. Yeah. Have you ever tried to put a lime up your bottom? Have you used a compostable bag? Have you used a bag for life? Perhaps a tote bag, something else? The fabric might feel better. Mm. Might feel more soft, cosy. Yes, might feel more. Or nice. you get those um fluffy pencil cases. Ooh. Like to feel a bit more fluffy. No handles, though. No handle. But it's a you zip. zip. Yeah. You can keep a, a little hook on the zipper. A long nail. Hook it into the zip. This is absolutely foul. Have you done any of the above? Uh, please do email us in. Also, would you shave the coconut or leave it hairy? That's just a question. Let us know. 
I'm yeah. genuinely intrigued. What would you do? So yeah, thank you so much everyone for listening to that if you're still with us. Um I don't blame you if you're not. Um thank you so much for everyone who's been following us and reviewing us. Uh please keep it up and also email in if there's anything that you would like to hear us talk about that we haven't covered so far. We've got, you know, lots of things that we do need to cover, but if there's any other chronic illnesses that you'd like to talk about, then please, please do get us touched because we would love to hear from you. Yeah, and please do share, review, rate and subscribe to the podcast. Please keep spreading our stank around. And if you want to email in, you can find us at thepoodcastofficial at gmail.com or find us on Instagram or Twitter at the underscore podcast. Thank you so much, everybody listening. And also, I've just remembered, you put the lime in the coconut, coconut. put it up your bum. <laughs> Is that how it goes? <laughs> I don't know. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.